Hey everyone, welcome to What's It Like Podcast with Stacy and Emily. I'm Stacy. And I'm Emily. Welcome to another episode. We're happy that you're here. Yes, we are. Today's episode is called What's It Like to Be a Forensic Nurse? Yeah, and this one is actually a little harder conversation that we've had on some other episodes. So it is. We've dug into some interesting and good topics, but this was one I had just, I was a little bit clueless about what actually took place. So Brenda will explain on here what her job actually is, and we'll get into the details mm-hmm. real here. But she's kind of the first stop for somebody who's had a trauma at the hospital when evidence needs to be taken. Yeah, She shared with us that only 17% of sexual assault victims are reported. Mm-hmm. And we just were astonished by that. I mean, yeah. I guess I knew based on my friends and family that I know have had stuff happened to them that yeah. haven't reported it. I guess I would know lots of people don't report. Emily and I talked about just the fact that we all know, both she and I know, lots of yeah. women and some men who mm-hmm. have been sexually assaulted. And I can't think of any of the people that I know who actually reported it. So when you hear yeah. that statistic, it's actually not that surprising. It's sad, though. No, it is really sad. I In working with college students, I have, I would say the majority of the women I work with have some sort of trauma in their story. Mm -hmm. So sometimes it's not as much that you would even report to the police, but we're all formed by something happening. Absolutely. So many of our girls. And then just in our personal life, a couple years ago, we had a situation where we were involved in a case that involved sexual um, trauma Mm -hmm. and seeing when you do report it and the process that happens in the court system, I almost understood why you wouldn't. It's a really hard Long. emotional, long, mm-hmm. intense process. Yeah. So for sure. I Brenda remember was, you guys going yeah. through that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just is, it was enlightening to me what Absolutely. the realities of what happened. Uh, Brenda is actually really helpful. She explains exactly what would happen and how things would happen mm-hmm. if you came in and reported a, a sexual abuse or a trauma. Um, that was really enlightening to me. Absolutely. And one reason why Emily and I think that this podcast is important is because The program where Brenda works, it's at Aurora Mm -hmm. Medical Group. We don't talk about it at all during the podcast because as we were filming, Brenda wasn't sure we could mention that this program, this department is at Aurora because obviously we're dealing with sensitive information. But since then, she did check with Aurora's HR. And I'm very happy that we can talk about where this program is, where this department is, because people need to know that it exists and Mm -hmm. they need to know how to find it for themselves if something happens or a loved one, a friend, people yeah. need to know that this is happening. Yeah, for sure. So we've, I didn't know this, but not every hospital in our area has somebody specifically designated right. to be this or trained in it. Trained in it. And yeah. so wherever you are across the country, I actually think it would be helpful just to find out what medical facility in your area has this. Yes. So if you have a friend or yourself that ever needs it, you'll know where to go. Absolutely. So in our area, you should know now to go to Aurora. It was a really helpful for us to learn the services that they have. Yeah, absolutely. And just for all of our listeners, we do want to give you a heads up that this is sensitive material. We are talking about sexual assault and the victims and the process that they go through when they are at the hospital. There's some hard stuff in here, you guys. It's very, very important. But if you you make your own judgment call on who you want to listen to it. And yeah. Um, also Brenda at one point does um, quote a patient directly and there is um, the F word is mentioned. So we just want to give everyone a heads up on that in case that's something that you don't want to hear, but it's all part of the story and it's an important story. So we really hope you like this podcast guys. Thanks for listening. Hi Brenda. Thanks so much for joining us. Hello, and thank you for um, welcoming me to this podcast. We're very excited to have you here. Brenda is a forensic nurse, so we're going to jump right in. Yeah, because I don't actually even know really what that means. I agree. Tell us what you do. Okay. Well, uh, forensic nurse, it stemmed from a sexual assault nurse. So a sexual assault nurse is somebody that um, takes care of uh, patients who are sexually assaulted all ages, and we're by base, a registered nurse, um, but specialized in collecting evidence if someone comes in, um, if they are sexually assaulted. Um, And also we take photographs. Mm -hmm. Um, We work with, sometimes we work with law enforcement, with the patient, um, but we're more of uh, physical and emotional support as well as medical treatment. So I'm picturing like CSI on TV. (laughs) 
right? Like that's what I'm you picturing. You hear the or forensic, long order. yeah, and yeah. you think that. So I'm guessing the forensic ties into the evidence, yeah, that you're gathering, and yeah. So the forensic um, part, I I guess we 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 turn into forensic nurses because we're we we take care of not only sexual assault patients, but we also take care of domestic violence. Uh, okay. People that have been affected by any kind of violence, so strangulation, um, mm. child abuse. Oh, wow. So uh, those patients are come into us or are brought to us by law enforcement, and mm-hmm. then we would collect evidence if necessary. Okay. And the CSI forensic part, I think, you know, we do do some of those things. Like if um, somebody would, would say that... Um, he or she may have wiped something on them. We think maybe mm. that is going to uh, fluoresce, and that's biological evidence for okay. us. So if that would fluoresce, then mm-hmm. we would know that there could be some DNA there to swab. What does fluoresce mean? So fluoresce like uh, black light, okay. Like okay. something that would like uh, like a highlighter, like would um, yeah, brighten, brighten up with the light at night oh, so at, during bi- the dar- in the dark. And biological things fluoresce, so like blood and... Yeah, bi- biological um, things fluoresce like semen, um, urine, anything that would have our DNA in it would okay. fluoresce, wow. could fluoresce. So you have equipment and your mm-hmm. officer at your place yep. that helps you find those things on their body. Yep, yep. We have, um, so we have a very, um, it's a powerful black light. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly the wavelength. Different than the white. Well, I have a girlfriend who brings a black light to hotel rooms oh, to check the, the sheets to make sure there's they're clean, which cracks me up. I'm not going to name names. I'm guessing it's a little more high power than it, that. It is. Yeah. It is. It's like that. And I like, I want to do that. Yeah. But I'm afraid <laughs> to. Oh, I totally feel like ignorance is so much more blissful yes. than that scenario right, you know, right, hotel right, room. Right. I don't think we'd ever any of us would stay in a hotel ever, no. ever again Ick. if we brought no. that in. <laughs> so yeah, it is so powerful. We have to wear um, protective glasses oh, wow. um, because you could burn your retina um, or the patient's retina. So wow. Yep, and we use that, and then we also have a super cool, like FBI grade um, forensic camera called uh, Secure Digital Forensic Imaging. So that's hmm. an SDFI camera system. Okay. And what that ties in with the fluoresce light is we have a contrast camera in that hmm. um, the, the system. Okay. So the contrast camera will take a picture of anything that fluoresces. Wow. And that's evidence as well. Mm-hmm. But we hmm. have a separate camera that uh, takes pictures of injury, but it's very, very... Um, detailed. It's um, high resolution. Um, it take it has a negative invert uh, function where if someone may have some like broken blood vessels on the face from strangulation, it may not show up like if we look at them. Oh. But if I do a negative invert on the computer, we may be able to see those broken blood vessels and that from the injury oh, from the strangulation. So, so you just are by experience know different kind of injuries might cause some of those things so you would take a picture with a different kind of camera yep mm. yeah even mm-hmm. though you don't see it f- physically mm-hmm. and you're, wow yep. Yep. that's have, amazing yeah yeah so in the face in the eyes um, behind the ears um, wow. in the roof of the mouth in the nose so then it's wow. it's just a, a nurse a registered nurse has those assessment skills to, okay. to begin with so this is like uh, the best of both worlds when you give he or she that equipment, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and you and you train them on that, and then you they also have those assessment skills, so they know medically mm-hmm. what would happen if somebody was strangled, yeah, um, with the anatomy and physiology and that. And so. it's those kinds of, for lack of a better word, evidence or clues that are so important to have in case that particular instance goes to trial, and that there needs to be, yes, proof against. The perpetrator, yes, correct? Definitely. And we're seeing more prosecution mm. in um, the county that we work in because um, there is that evidence and, you know, hmm. pictures, pictures, you know, people really react a lot to mm-hmm. photos. Oh, and sure. we spend like six hours with some of these um, people wow. and, you know, documentation. So a lot of evidence um, is gathered uh, with um, our charting and also with the uh, photos. As okay. well. yeah. yeah. Are the majority of your patients, are they all alive or do you work? All of them are alive. You work with yep. live Yeah, live people. Okay. Yep. Somebody yep. else is doing the people who have already passed away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the coroner's office or I think bigger cities have, I'm not really sure. Sure. Yeah. So are you on, are you on call 
all the time? Or yeah. You know? So I'm I supervise the the program, and okay. we have right currently we have ten nurses. And those nurses are, um, we call it casual status. So they don't have an amount of hours they come in every day like a regular job. Okay. So they take on-call hours. Okay. So I cover the hours 8 to 4, Monday through Friday, mm-hmm. while I'm in the office. I think we're getting so busy that mm. I'm going to need someone to do that because I'm trying to educate the nurses, get in the community. I do a lot of presentations and, yeah. and see patients on top mm-hmm. of that. But anyways... Um, yeah, the the nurses take call. They take about 60 hours of call a month. Okay. But that is on top of another job, you know, that they have. Oh, they're in a different department doing a regular nursing Regular gig. nursing job, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I think um, it's... It's usually a passion for them yeah. to do something like this. I was going to ask that. What kind mm-hmm. of what kind of person wants to be trained mm-hmm. in doing this? Yeah, I think somebody that you know it may have happened to them. Mm-hmm. Um, they may be sensitive to it that way. They want to give back, uh, but also just some a nurse that's very passionate. Yeah, um, and empathetic. Then I'm empathetic sure. wants you know to really thrives on helping people you know feel better after mm-hmm. something like this happens because we're the um the first responders mm-hmm. you know um with it so well and it's so different from bringing your child to the er because they have a broken arm you're dealing with someone who's just been attacked so right wow. just a yeah. whole other level yeah. of um emergency yeah. and trauma yeah, yeah i would imagine yeah. you would have to have a high level of uh like detail like uh, really somebody who is prone to detail and care for detail and also a high people person. And yeah, very that feels I mean, different. <laughs> yep. They have to be a people person. Definitely yeah. um, connect with people, mm-hmm. yeah. have passionate for the work. Um, but yeah, all around, I think um, it's, it's, it's hard to get nurses to do this work. Really? Mm-hmm. It is. It's very hard. I always have a couple positions out there mm-hmm. available and I'll get maybe three applicants a year. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> because then, why? Why do you think that is? Well, I think because one, nobody wants to do it because it's hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, What's hard? Well, it's emotionally yeah. um, draining. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're getting called in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have to be there within an hour, you know, mm-hmm. put yourself together to be prepared to support somebody. Yeah. So if you've um, got a family and little kids or yep, something, yep. it's not an easy gig mm-hmm. to have. Right. Okay. Yeah. Little kids and that. And and it's just something easily um, to kind of like get rid of if because it's not a really big money make like for income for them. Okay. It's not okay. real big income either. So okay. it's, it's, I think more of though, it's the, the stress of the job and yeah. they get burnt out. Mm-hmm. So we do it. a lot of debriefing, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. after cases and that if they, if they need to do that. So, so can you walk us through what will have, what the process for a victim when they first come in contact for you? What's the first? Sure. But what happens first? Okay. So, Either a patient will uh, come to the emergency room uh, because they don't know where to go with, uh, nobody knows we exist. Okay. So they come to the emergency room just to get help because they don't know what else to do. Because they're hurt somehow. Right. Because they're hurt and and they've heard of the rape kits on CSI or something like that. Yeah. Okay. And they think that the ER doctor or or nurses would do that. Okay. Um, Or they call the police and then Mm. the police would call us. Okay. And then that nurse um, has an hour to respond to the hospital. So the nurse does not go to the home right. of the victim. Yep. Okay. She goes to the hospital. Um, in the meantime, the nurse finds out what county that patient um, lives in. And then we call the advocate from one of the advocacy agencies in the area. Oh, okay. okay. So, and do most um, counties around Wisconsin have that? No. Mm. No, not all counties, especially especially rural counties, yeah. do not have advocacy. Okay. Uh, but it's becoming, it's a law now in oh. Wisconsin. Okay. Awesome. So it's it's very difficult, though, for those hospitals that don't have that um, advocacy support. Yeah. Okay. Is it, um, just, is that financial? 
like rural counties don't have enough money to have all those positions filled or I what do you think? I think so. They yeah. just don't have those centers. They don't have those advocacy okay. centers yeah. or they've not even thought about starting one. Okay. I think. Yeah. So an advocate is different. I've heard of an advocate in yeah. this capacity. That's yeah. different than what you guys do. Right. So they're like a support person. Okay. And they are there as a non-biased mm-hmm. person that the patient can tell them anything, and those those things they tell them cannot be used in a court of law. Got oh, it. Okay. So that's protected. Yeah, that's a protected relationship. Yep, a protected okay. relationship. So that's they're awesome. they're they're just there as a non biased um, support person. Um, you know, they just make sure that they're comfortable. They get them water. They give them some something to eat, mm-hmm. and they will intervene if they feel that. You know, they're being re-traumatized by yeah. um, the police or us. And I mean, it's just, you know, they just really watch out for them. Sure. Okay. So their particular really specialty or their heartbeat is care yes. for the mm-hmm. emotions of yep. that. Yep. It, um, are they, they're not medically trained though. They are not. And More like a social worker. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then mo- most of them are volunteers. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Really? So is that something, I think I know a couple advocates actually mm-hmm. who might be involved in some, um, like some of the organizations around that are helping to combat sex trafficking and things like that. Right, I right. think I've yep, heard mm-hmm. of that. Yep. So an advocate and a forensic nurse, they go hand in hand, or is there a little bit of a rub there? Um, I think we go hand in hand. Um, mm-hmm. They're very helpful um, to us. Okay. Um, and there isn't any, you know, we, we will stop if they feel that patient needs a break. Okay. Um, and things like that. Or if the police are in the room and they feel like maybe they're just overwhelmed and they are crying and they can't mm-hmm. go on anymore, yeah. they'll, they'll be that person to intervene at that Got time. It. Yeah. Okay. So then uh, we arrived to the hospital and we're fortunate in my area to have a separate um, oh, awesome. space. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, because, and we... Uh, other hospitals... Mm-hmm. <laughs> They don't have a separate space. Uh, they yeah. have to do these exams for six hours in a regular emergency room oh, yeah, okay. and with a, with with the other population, which is not always very um, ideal, calming, sure. and ideal. Yeah. Oh, that feels like such a gift to the patient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So safe. Feel safe. Right. Right. Yeah. So very very fortunate to have this area, and so we we sit down with them and we explain our role and what we do. And then we go through and explain the options of care with okay. them. So we, they are in charge and they, you know, we empower them. Uh, we provide trauma-informed care, okay. which is we, want, we don't want to re-traumatize them. Sure. Um, so we give them the control on what they want. Uh, so we go through options of care, and that would be um, med- medications for um, sexually transmitted infections oh, if why? they would like... And then um, medication to prevent pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can give that up to five days um, mm-hmm. after the assault. Okay. And then we also, we can provide HIV prophylaxis if they um, rep- come to us within three days. And that medication is 80% effective in preventing HIV contraction. What? That's amazing. If it's caught, if it's started within three within days. Within 72 hours. If okay. it started within 72 hours. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So that is huge. I've never that heard is that. huge. And yeah. the pregnancy pill helps within five days, you said? Yes. Okay. It, yep. Yep. We give Ella, which is one that you can give up to five days. Okay. Some are only three, but this one's up to five. Okay. Um, and then, so we offer, you know, do you want the medications? Mm-hmm. Um, do you want us to take photos if on an exam we see any injury? Mm-hmm. Um, we can do a head-to-toe assessment on you and document all your Injury, bruises, anything there that would be there. Yeah. Um, and then um, the connection with advocacy mm-hmm. is there. So we just go through all the options mm-hmm. um, if they want evidence collected or not. Huh. So, And what, what would be a scenario where a patient might not want evidence yeah. collected? Well, we would evaluate when the assault occurred okay. um, and if we feel that there would be any evidence there anymore. Oh, okay. um, if they took a shower, um, a lot of times we can't get any outside, but mm-hmm. we can still um, get some um, inside of them mm-hmm. at times. Um, but I think, I think if they don't want to, it's because they're just scared. They don't want to. Yeah. They don't want to get the 
the perpetrator in trouble. Mm, a lot right. of times that is what they're afraid. Because they know them. There's somebody they're close to probably. 95% of people know the perpetrator. Mm. 95%. Only 5% are stranger assaults. Oh my wow. Gosh. Mm-hmm. So I have to just ask you because I feel it already bubbling up inside of me. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're a professional, but I would find it so hard when a woman or a mm-hmm. victim comes in and they... Mm-hmm. don't want to yeah. prosecute and how do you how do you how do you work through that mm-hmm. yeah it's really difficult mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. but you you can't um um push them mm-hmm. yeah. um I can't think of the word but yeah well, coerce. <laughs> coerce. Yes. Coerce. you can't coerce them to to do that um can but, you even encourage can you say things like this is a dangerous situation for you. You need to get out of this. Let's put him behind bars. Anything like that? Can Not you even, really. Really? No. Are I mean, the police involved in this? Pro- like, are the they, police here at this, and are they? Can they weigh in on that at all? If if they wanted to report, if they're eighteen and older, they have the option to report to the police or not. Oh, okay. Uh, but if they're, um, you know, eighteen and under, the police are usually involved. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in our world. An, a child at age 12 can come in and consent um, on their own what? What? without parental um, consent. Wow. wow. Uh, but, and, and, they, and they don't need to report to the police, but we have to call Child Protective Services because we're mandated oh, reporters. Yeah. Okay. okay. And then Child Protective Services, they have to report any sexual assault of a child to law enforcement. I think it's within 24, 48 hours or something okay. like that. yeah. But then so. the Child Protective Services would determine if the parents, like if it came from a parent, right, right, then they would figure out how to do that. Yep, they would. I can't even, mm-hmm. I just can't even imagine a 12-year-old coming to the hospital. Is it's that, very rare yeah. mm-hmm. um, that, that, that that would happen. Sometimes a 14-year-old would mm-hmm. come in with a friend. Yeah. You know, he or she finds out that we have this yeah. mm-hmm. program. And so when a 17-year-old comes in and she doesn't want, her parents to know mm-hmm. it's difficult because we have to call child protective services as mandated reporters yeah okay and then so. that will for sure that will guarantee that there's something followed up on yes. at home yes okay yes. unless child protective services feels like it, it's um happening in the home they're yeah. gonna do an investigation and find out if it's in the home then they're not gonna put that child in any more danger by um talking to the parents yeah oh, okay okay yeah. Yeah. If it was something that happened, say at a friend's house, what would that what would that look like? Um, well, if they have any report of sexual assault, yeah, then they have to report to law yeah. enforcement. Okay, which yeah. is good. Yeah, any- and then and then maybe also good on the side that these kids can come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and feel feel the freedom to come in perhaps without a parent bringing them. Right. Like I wonder if that helps encourage them to come in. Well, I don't think, I don't, it's just unknown. Okay. They don't even know. No, they don't, nobody knows that that, that they can do that. Okay. So uh, parents are very surprised when I tell them um, that their child can consent. Mm. Um, Can we swear on here? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Feel free. (laughs) So I, baloney or, well, (laughs) I had a, a mother um, yesterday tell me that um, it was a s- stupid fucking law that a child could come in and consent for um, their, you know, themselves huh. for this type of assault. And I, I just, I was like, I'm sorry, I, you know, didn't write the law, but right. this is just, right. this is their rights in our area only. Huh. Got it. And so, how did, how was that particular mother? contacted right and why by the police okay mm-hmm. and was, yeah why would she be so mad that her kid could consent because she was maybe involved um she was just angry altogether yeah she wouldn't even she wouldn't even come in and support her daughter mm. yeah it's, she, it's, she stayed home oh it's pretty gosh. messy it's yeah it's beyond it a typical family it here is in, yeah. yeah it's family dynamics and yeah and that comes into it as well so how do you how do you handle that somebody's swearing at you on the phone and you're trying to do the best does it does it bother you not really. No. No. Okay. I mean, I've been a nurse for 20 years. You have okay. a lot of people swear at you. Yeah. Yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so you just, 
Really? Roll with the punches. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, everyone's stressed. You just have to realize, mm-hmm. you know, there's something else going on in their lives besides yeah. even this. And this is huge stress for them as right. well. Right. Yeah. Um, so she was just telling me, you know, she has so many problems with her daughter. She's uncontrollable. She doesn't know what to do. Oh. You know, and so there's other things always going on. Got it. Course. It's not like I don't take it personal. It's not directed towards me. Yeah. Right. So okay, so a patient says yes. I want you to take evidence. I want to. Yeah. I want to go. Then you bust yeah. out the cameras yeah. and. Yeah, we have an evidence kit um, okay. with multiple swabs of, of every part of the body. So depending on where they were um, licked, kissed, um, oh, bit wow. um, anywhere, there would be saliva or blood or semen or anything anywhere we then would swab those areas. Okay. So is the patient standing in a room naked with how how many people around them giving this exam? Um, just the nurse. And okay. if they want anybody in there with them, they okay. can. Okay. Um, the advocate offers to come in. Okay. But they have um, a gown on and mm-hmm. we, you know, keep their dignity by just having a blanket cover the areas um, that we're not examining okay. at the time. Okay. Um, and then... That um, exam we go ahead and do with the swabs and then the photos at that time, okay. and that is in a separate exam room than where we would um, have family when we did the, you know, if they want anyone there when we're doing the interviewing process. Okay. So, wow. Yeah. I, I'm sure that is just a really emotional experience. How do you yeah. keep, how do you, how do you do that? Do you, are you able to check out your emotions in those times or? Yeah. I think, I mean, it, most of the time mm-hmm. I can. Yeah. Um, now, when, for instance, I had a really hard time, though, when I I, I seen a, a, a child the same age as my child. Oh, yeah. So she was 13 and, and my daughter was 13 at the time. Mm-hmm. And my daughter's what, 13 currently. Oh, like I already have ice down oh, my spine. So my can God. you share the story? Oh, my gosh. It's terrible. It's absolutely terrible. I almost quit doing this after I saw this girl. Mm. So she came in with her sister and her mother. Her maybe no, I'm sorry, her aunt. And she had told her sister um, what had been happening to her. Mom's boyfriend was having sex with her mm. um, every night. Her mother would go to work. On third shift for like two years. Mm. Oh my gosh. And she told her, you know, really late because kids don't, they disclose very, very late because usually they're told if you tell anybody, I'm going to kill your mom, Mm -hmm. you're going to be in trouble, you're going to be the one looked at as being bad you know oh, absolutely yeah. so there's so, such a level of fear yeah, held over them such a level of fear and power and control mm-hmm. over them so she's telling me this how like just like yeah he you know he yeah he put his penis inside of me mm. and and then she goes and, and changes the subject and starts talking about how she likes cooking and all these other like oh my gosh and i just lost <laughs> Oh my gosh! Because there's such, yeah. there's still such innocence there, and like a disassociation. I can't. That's yeah. got to be. And I'm gonna cry. Aww. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's, it was, it's, it's, it's really hard to hear a child yeah. talk about that. Um, like those things happening to them, they don't realize. I don't think how bad they are, mm-hmm. and then they're trying to be a kid. Of, I'm on top of that. Yes. So that was the hardest case I ever had. Oh, Brenda. So anyways, um, yeah. So if I had a case like that every day, I don't think I could do this. So. Yeah. Obviously, you that you yeah. still sticks with you. Was this a while ago? Yeah. My daughter is 17 now. Yeah. So that, I'll never forget her though. No. I just have to believe though, like, the fact that you're that you carry this so close to your heart, I mean, it just shows your compassion and and to be able to do the job that you do yeah. and do it so well yeah. is because you care like this, right? Yeah, I do, I do, but it just makes me sick. Oh my gosh, I that can't imagine. Children have to. I think because I feel like for for me, it's like I watch 
Law and Order SVU. Yeah. It's like a story out there, but yeah. then it's not a real person to me. It's not a real kid. So to right. have, I just, right. I honestly can't, I don't even know that I can wrap my mind around that this, this is real, that this really happens. And yeah. Yeah. And you know, and I think it happens, I mean, it happens more than we realize oh. because only, we only hear about 17% yeah. in this wow. county. We only hear 17% of the assaults. Like that's um, because the underreported, that report. underreported, mm-hmm. right? So that wow. doesn't mean so th- there could be more victims coming into you guys, but they're choosing not to take it to the police. No, they're just not coming into us. Oh, they're not coming in at or all or reporting. Oh wow, ne- n- n- yeah, either they're just living so, with this, living uh, with this a part of their story. Yep, yeah. they. I mean, a lot of times I think they just don't know we we provide these services, yeah. and that's mm-hmm. why I'm out in the community and talking about mm-hmm. what we do and where to go and. Yeah. Um, and then they're afraid to get the police involved. Um, sure. But, um, yeah. yeah. Do so. you, I've been oh. hearing a lot about sex trafficking and mm-hmm. how it's, um, a giant problem in our community, which seems so crazy because we're not a big city, which right, is what yeah. you would think about when right, you think right, of right. this kind of network. And mm-hmm. you were saying how busy you guys have been lately. Are you seeing more of that happening kind of? Are you seeing evidence of that increasing in our community too? It's hard for us to judge because we don't see a lot of those. So those patients aren't necessarily coming in, right? Um, I'm really trying to encourage law enforcement to bring them all in to see us to have Mm -hmm. an exam, Mm -hmm. to have that evidence um, of injury on their bodies and what happened to them. Mm -hmm. That doesn't always happen. Um, and I, I, I mean, and sometimes we will have a patient come in and there's red flags that she may be being trafficked Mm -hmm. or he, Mm -hmm. and they, but they don't, they don't want to disclose that to us because they're so scared. They're so scared. What's going to happen to them. They're in way deep. I'm sure it's right. They don't even Mm -hmm. know how to communicate. Right. Mm -hmm. So we, what we, we do is we try to get them alone Mm -hmm. and, um, just tell them, you know, what, what supportive services that we can provide them and that, you yeah. know, if they're in trouble. And so we just try to get them away from whoever's with them. Cause even if, yeah. I mean, a woman or a man right. mm-hmm. could be trafficking them. So absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. I, that was one of my questions. So the majority of your patients are women, I am assuming, but am I wrong? Yeah. Majority are women. Mm-hmm. I, I think we probably see 90% women, 10% men. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Is that, I'm, this is with my assumption mm-hmm. because the majority of women being assaulted or majority of humans being assaulted are women. And I also imagine men would report it less. Is that true? Oh, or even less. Yes. Way, like that's why we don't know. Yeah. Right. We don't know what the real numbers are because we don't. Yeah. Because men report even less. Yeah. Than women do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Have you seen patients before who have been in more than once? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's yeah. patients who, mm-hmm. who come in repeatedly having. Yeah abused yeah that's not common okay but um yes we have had some that come in um often yeah so yeah do you notice um i i ask this because i vividly remember when we moved here the one of the realtors said that there is a huge domestic violence issue and that it spikes around packer games which is so random but i'm just curious do you ever see really yeah do yeah. you ever see an inf- are there times of the year certain events that you guys have ever tracked to see if there's an an influx of patients or more patients coming in? I never thought I mean we see a lot of domestic violence okay. but I've never um a cor- correlated know, correlate it? that with um the pat with the packers. <laughs> I, I think the same if thing the packers like, lose, they lose that's when it happens and when it's, the packers lose really I when I have domestic violence or strangulation patients, I mean, I don't know if they're watching the Packers at the yeah, time, but right. they're drinking a lot of times. Drugs or abuse. alcohol mm. is a lot of times involved okay. in those, and as well as sexual assaults. Yeah, um, yeah. alcohol and drugs are are involved in, mm-hmm. in those. But so, how messy does that get if, a, if someone comes in and they're inebriated? Do you in just with their testimony? Is it? Are they believed, even if they're inebriated? You know, that kind of... Do you know what I'm asking? Not many like, people are believed. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, we believe them. Mm-hmm. You just believe them. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, we believe them. We take the evidence. We're non-biased. We yep. weren't there. We're not the investigator. Um, so we let the invest, we let the, you know, the police do the investigative part mm-hmm. and then provide, you know, those things that we have collected. Yeah. Um, but, um, as for the, um, if they're inebriated or yeah, yeah. If they're drunk when they come in, we have to make sure they can consent and they know where they are and they oh. know if they can't consent, then we really can't do and how who de- how do you determine if they can consent? Well, do they know their name? Do they know where they oh. are at? Um, stuff like that, you know, yeah. just to, just to make sure that they're, you know, I mean, I've had patients where they are so mentally ill that they they are seeing things and people are sitting next to them. And oh my gosh! I can't have them consent because they don't know what's Got it. right. And that just comes down to a judgment call that you get to make, right? Okay, yeah. and yeah. You, and you've had plenty of training in that, I would imagine. That feels like a horrible yeah. decision to have to make. But Yeah. I mean, if you I mean, you know if somebody understands what you're telling them. You can tell. Yeah. yeah. Got it. Do you ever have any sort of reoccurring relationship with the patient outside of the hospital? Like if are you ever called to testify on cases? Do you have to see the patients after that? Like how does hmm. that work out? Well, we we'll call them to follow up. A lot of times they don't answer their phone okay. or they've changed their number or something. Mm. Mm-hmm. But we we are subpoenaed and we do testify. Mm. Um but we have to be an um unbiased, okay. unbiased person um that we're not on one side or the other. Okay. Um uh, because a defense attorney could could come back at us and say, "Well, you're a nurse. Yeah. You are supposed to provide compassion and you're supposed to believe everybody mm. correct mm-hmm. you know so huh. we go through we have to be careful um yeah. and just be that mutual yep mm-hmm. so you get neutral. to neutral N- neutral 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 that's the word yeah. <laughs> I have problems with pronunciation and word seeking <laughs> <laughs> you got it you nailed it neutral yeah yeah i have the same issue actually myself just so you know uh yeah so you have to go in there intentionally thinking everything i share has to be neutral yes, very factual yes, yes, oh gosh. very factual that would be very very hard for me yeah so you know we'll be asked you know did you see her on this day did you see him on this day is it you know is this your chart is this what you saw is this what they yeah. said so very um, yes and no answers and photos mm. um and then the defense will come after you and say, well, couldn't have this have happened this way mm, yeah. or couldn't have this have happened that way? And yeah, sometimes you have to say, yes, that can happen right? Yes, um, that way. Oh so, man, how hard, just emotionally, how are, mm-hmm. is that hard for you? Yeah, I've, I've not testified a lot. Okay. Okay. Um, but I mean, I'd say about 15 times. Yeah. Well, wow. that seems like a lot. Yeah. In, in, in doing, you know, I've been a nurse for 20 years, but yeah, I've been okay. doing this uh, for 10. Okay. Okay. So in 10 years, I think that's really not much. I suppose. What has changed in the 10 years you've been doing this? Anything? Or are there some good, are there some, is it progress being made, do you feel like? Definitely. A mm. lot of progress. Good. Um, and I feel like the disciplinary teams are working together hmm. um, more uh, like law enforcement and yeah. we're working more collaboratively together. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I think that there is more belief uh, for mm. that victim. Yeah. Okay. Good. Um, and I think everything with the Me Too movement yeah. and that that's bo- going on, you know, on that this more publicity has helped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. People come out and talk, you know, talk about it more. Mm-hmm. So I think definitely it's much better than it used to be. I think that's one of our passions mm-hmm. about this mm-hmm. podcast is that we have, the more you hear stories, you hear <laughs> little glimpses of your story in other people, the more it gives you courage to share your story. Right, right. right. So, it gives them, right. It gives them courage because other people, they're like, oh, well, you know, they can do it. So maybe I can do it. Right. Yeah. It helps you feel so, not so alone and not right. so isolated. Right, and right. Mm-hmm. the sad thing about your job is that you are busy right. and I wish you weren't. Right, I wish this right. was one of those jobs where you were getting less busy, mm-hmm. but yeah, mm-hmm. that's not happening. And I think, um, 
I'm just grateful that there are people who do what you do and who are willing to do that because you're providing a huge service and just a huge support to these victims. And I I thank you for that. Oh, thank you. Oh, me too. I just think even that they would have a woman that would care to be tender taking the samples Mm -hmm. is, is amazing. I'm, I've got some pretty awesome nurses I work with. I believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome group of girls. So, so anything that still you feel like is missing? Is yeah. there are there important steps that still need to take place to help the process get better, more efficient, more effective? I think that um, we all need to stop victim blaming because mm-hmm. that is definitely still going on. So victim blaming is like, victim well, blaming. she was she was drinking and she was wearing that outfit. Well, why were you there? Why didn't yeah. you report sooner? Mm-hmm. Why would you not call the police if a gun was being held to your head? Yeah. Why, 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 why? Mm-hmm. Why did stop you let that asking, happen for two years? Why right, didn't you right. tell the first mm-hmm. time? Mm-hmm. Stop, stop asking those why questions. I wonder okay. why. Why do you guys think we do that? Like, why do people do that? Is it... Uh, I, th- I think... I know one reason why, and I'm relating this to myself, I think you you want to think about a way, you want to give yourself a reason as to why this would never happen to you. So mm-hmm. I would never put myself oh. in that situation. I would never do this. So that must mean I'll be safe from that. Because it makes you feel like you're in control I then and you're so. more safe. I think, it's, I think it helps people be like, well, that person chose to be in that relationship. Uh-huh. I would never do that. So I bet that's one reason why the why questions come. And if I'm being honest with myself, sometimes I do that yeah. with with right. stories of victimization. Mm-hmm. You you mm-hmm. you feel it. You you hurt for that person, but there's a piece of you that wants to say, "But that would never happen to me because I wouldn't do that." Right. Protect yourself. Look yes. out for yourself. Look out for your friends. Look out for each other. Like. Right. I yeah. think that that's how part smug, of it. because I think so many times uh, you just don't know until you've walked a mile in their shoes. And right. right. Well, and I'm just, yeah. I think I'm wondering as I sit here in this moment, like, why isn't our default to believe the victim? Because I'm, sh- I know that I've done that before too. Like, oh, well, I mean, I've watched her, I know her behavior, or I don't know, whatever. Well, I think it's in general, it's this is something bad. Why did something bad happen? Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What, what, what led up to this bad thing happening? Because mm-hmm. then what Stacy was saying, then it gives us the control back. Mm-hmm. So therefore, yeah. if that if this is what led up to it and I never do those things, I see. I get that makes sense to me now. Yeah. Okay. That it's yeah. a little bit of How can a I way where we can control it that? and protect ourselves. When it's not even other people blaming victims is is the patients come in and they the first thing they do is they blame themselves. Oh, I yeah. should not have been there. I knew I shouldn't have been there. Oh, I gosh. shouldn't have gone there. I don't know why. I know better than I knew better than that. So, yeah. Just it, that, it's, you we have say, to tell them it's not your fault. You know, we sh- we should be able to walk on the street and not think that right. we're going to, something's going to happen. And you would us. say that's the, f- the majority of the people that you're taking care of. That's their first reaction is they're the one to blame. 99% of the time. Oh my gosh. Oh, that's that's sad. so sad. They blame themselves. Yeah. Or they want to protect the person that did this to them. Yeah. That's, which is just which, a whole other level. And of, it's not always that way. Sure. Sure. I mean, but, but I hear that a lot. It's mm-hmm. a lot instilled in my mind that mm-hmm. I hear that a lot. So. Well, and it's so layered, right? Because they're usually mm-hmm. a long-term relationship or some sort of... They love they love that person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why would they do that to me? I thought we were friends. I thought... Yeah. He know, loved me or she loved right, me. Right, Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so. man. It would be so awesome if we could lead with believing and lead with... Um, what wondering what more of the story is not where the mm-hmm. blame is but mm-hmm. maybe i just think oh man i want that to be my first response for sure me too well, i think oh, go ahead no i was just gonna say this is kind of like i think so many are unprosecuted because of that yeah. um the well there's not enough evidence or mm. um you know what she he or she has um, inconsistent stories. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, yeah. to understand trauma, you would know that someone that is assaulted is going to have inconsistent inconsistent stories. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a big it's a big jumbled mess in their brain, mm-hmm. and they're trying to put the puzzle pieces together. Yeah, and they come together, 
in days and weeks at a time. So that's why now, and this is awesome in our area, they're giving them uh, people that um, would report an assault, they're giving them 24 hours of REM sleep and then coming back and and interviewing them, taking their statement at that time. Wow. So and that, I think that's really awesome that, that they're doing I that. I bet that does make a huge yeah. difference in terms yeah. of the specifics you can remember. Mm-hmm. And Well, because could you imagine all of this happens to you and then you're going to have yeah. a ner- all these people like at you, like what happened, what happened? You're right. telling your story 50 million times. And then you remember something later and then you're like, oh, yes. it's, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I mean, mean so many different instances. And photographs. Take, and it's yes. Just, all of it. Just it's, having time to process something can provide so much clarity mm-hmm, that that's, mm-hmm. that's huge. So is mm-hmm. that a new law that was just put in place? Place or is just a it's not a law. It's just something in this community that they decided to do. Was our, they being police officers. Yep, or, our okay. local law enforcement okay. agency. Um, just uh, Man, smart. Like part of trauma informed care. Yeah, yes. which I think is awesome that they're doing that. Absolutely. So, yeah, I feel like trauma informed care is a buzzword. I've heard it being talked about in terms of education. The way that we're teaching our teachers. Can you just explain that a little bit? What is trauma informed care? Trauma informed care is is providing that. Basically, emotional support, yeah, and and giving that person control um, into what happens to them next. Okay, because they didn't have any control of what happened to them during the assault. Uh-huh. So, trauma and for care is basically emotional support and giving them control. Yeah, giving them some of the power yep. mm-hmm. of their story. Okay. Yeah. Yep, that's wow. That makes In a sense. nutshell, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I sometimes think my husband and I. We'll have something happen to us. And less than a day later, we remember the story completely differently. Mm-hmm. So I wonder how you can get to the bottom of the truth in some of these circumstances when we're, I mean, I just like, it's stupid stuff, we're, mm-hmm. but we remember it completely differently. We were both there. We were both eyewitnesses to whatever happened. Yeah. And we yeah. remember it different. So how do you navigate that when you have different stories coming at you? You just believe the person in front of you and we do what just, you can. We just need to just get the information that they provide us mm-hmm. and then it's law enforcement's. Yeah. It's in yeah. law enforcement. Okay. It's in their hands to figure out, you know, yeah. where they want to go with it. They and can, it's not always even their in their control. It yeah. also has to do with the district attorney's office. Sure. If they'll take the case and oh, geez. Yeah. and I still cannot understand why Sometimes the decisions are made why they are. Yeah. I, I don't And understand. you're probably not informed as to why no. these things happen. Yeah. No. Clearly, though, you keep an eye on some certain cases. And so, you, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, uh, the only last question I have is kind of more of a practical question. Who keeps the evidence once it's collected? Does the hosp- hospital, do, do local law enforcement? No. So the evidence collection, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to mention this. So the evidence collection um, is given to law enforcement if the patient uh, reports, mm. and then law enforcement sends it to the crime lab. Okay. And then, but if a patient comes in and they're 18 and older and they don't want to report to the police, they can have evidence collected and the crime lab holds that evidence for nine and a half years. Oh, wow. So I've heard, I'm, I'm sure you've heard about all the untested kits yes. in a... Uh, shed somewhere a shed in Michigan that was a oh, we yeah. call it it was um abandoned building broken windows birds flying around thousands and thousands of untested sexual assault kits and so now there is a law across the country mm-hmm. that's called the Sexual Assault Kit Initiative. It's called okay. SACI. Okay. So they are going mm-hmm. and testing these kits now and getting hits off of them for serial rapists. Oh, wow. my gosh. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they hold that evidence, um, and that's where the evidence goes is the crime lab. So and somebody that could go. come in, and they're, like, very afraid mm-hmm. to prosecute their boyfriend mm-hmm. at this moment or whatever. Yeah. You could still – they could – you could get the evidence from them, mm-hmm. and that would be kept safe. But they wouldn't have to make a choice if they prosecuted today, right? And we don't, wow. we don't even. And this is a new um, process. Is we don't have law enforcement involved at all in those instances. Oh, okay. We send that straight to the crime lab. The okay. law enforcement used to send it, but now they have no idea who those um, people are. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, that really feels like um, it gives helpful them control. for yeah, yeah a victim yeah. to feel like they have. S- they don't have to decide in that very moment. 
Right, right. But then you're saying the crime lab has the legal ability to test those kits themselves and see if it matches another crime or... Um, if if the patient wants to report yeah. later on, okay. they would call law enforcement and then law enforcement would have the crime lab process that kit. Got it. Okay. Okay. Um, as for testing on all undecided kits, I think they are putting them all into the system called CODIS. Okay. Which would find, would you could get a hit on multiple DNA. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm pretty sure they're doing that okay. because that is the whole reason behind the law and the sexual assault kit initiative because yeah. we had all these undecided kits yeah. that they were just storing mm-hmm. and totally not un- doing anything with them. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, and so. it feels like that if they're being kept in an abandoned warehouse, there's not a lot of sanitary. I mean, it's well, not like, can you that, trust them? And- well, and it just show, goes to show, do, do, you know, do these people really matter? You yeah, know, and absolutely. these things that happen to them, do, the, do those do that even matter? That just feels wrong. Yeah. So that just yeah. like how they felt. Oh, and yeah. they went through this this exam for six hours, mm-hmm. and now their kits in a warehouse yeah. somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Good. So, yeah that doesn't. And, and that's across the that's across the country. Oh yeah. man, yeah. So so there's got to be a better way to do that. Yeah, no, right. for sure. So your your passion is getting the word out so that people know that this is even available. Yeah. So that when yeah. You, when yeah. mm-hmm. you're in a circumstance where you're been traumatized or somebody you love is traumatized you're saying take them to the hospital there's yes. people there that will care for them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah just so they know where to go yeah um and i just and not to be afraid to come forward mm-hmm. yeah so you have so many choices and so many things that we will provide you with and give you control mm-hmm. um with and i know it's hard mm-hmm. uh, but if you would just you know get that medical treatment and mm-hmm. then maybe we can we get get into other things to help them with yeah so, absolutely well yeah. you guys are doing such an important oh, yeah. service in this community and it's vital work and i guess the big takeaway is know that this service exists yeah. and know mm-hmm. that there are people highly trained and super compassionate yes. who are there to help you mm-hmm. and for the rest of us who haven't had to experience this just be believers be believers first Mm -hmm. and just love people well when you know that they've been part of something like that and i just want to say thanks for loving our sisters and mothers and daughters out there that we don't even know who they are but i just appreciate that there's somebody that is going to look them in the eye and believe them and be kind and i'm thankful for you and your your team brenda Mm -hmm. thank you so much for coming on and talking to us thank you for letting me yeah i appreciate it okay awesome thanks thanks take care okay Emily, I loved talking to Brenda. Wow, I just had no idea. And nearly half of the stuff she was talking about, I've never even thought of or heard of before. I agree. And just the way that she feels so deeply for these patients mm-hmm. and feels so compelled to, to work in this department and to train other people to do it. I just, I love her heart behind it. Oh, totally. I felt at the end, like I would trust myself or my family with Brenda. Absolutely. Which was pretty cool. For sure. One thing we want all of our listeners to know is that programs like this at Aurora are not, um, they're not the same as other medical departments where you, where doctors and nurses can bill for the procedures and insurances reimburse. Programs like this rely on donations. They rely on government and state funding. um, And it's just such an important service that if you ever felt compelled to donate or give to a program like this, I'm sure that money will be put to good use and they need it. For so. sure. We appreciate it. We had a good conversation with Brenda at the end about that. And it's a huge part of her job is finding the funding. Mm-hmm. I'm thankful they have it. For Me too. Sure. Um, thanks also to our other friends that are nurses out there and that are taking care of people in traumatic situations all the time. We appreciate yeah. you. And thanks for listening to What's It Like with Stacey and Emily one more time. Uh, would you share this podcast with your friends? We want more listeners because we love more stories. And the more we hear real stories, I think the more we're connected. So follow us on Instagram at What's It Like with Stacey and Emily or Facebook. What's it like with Stacey and Emily and even maybe Twitter. What's it like with Stacey and Emily? I think it's out there. Okay. (laughs) We love you. Bye. Bye.